and uh, essentially the life of King Josiah and the incredible thing that, uh, that God did in and through him. Remarkable lessons for us to learn as we, um, as we jump in here today. Put the sermon away and not the, not the agenda of the day. There we go. That would make a difference. To start, I want to um, tell you a little bit of uh, one aspect, if you would, of my teenage years. You know, basically, I grew up from my earliest memory having faith. Some of you might have experienced that and some of you might not have. I grew up in a Christian home and I was told of the things of God and, and I just embraced them. I believed them. Of course, I came to a place in my life where I said, Lord Jesus, I want to know you and I want to follow you and I commit my life to you. Um, and, you know, life went along and, and I came into my high school years and I went to youth group and um, I, I got involved in that youth group for five years. Um, we had grade 13 then, that's why. And, uh, um, you know, at the end of those years, and, and maybe even a little bit beyond those years, a question emerged in my mind, and it was simply this. God, why me? God, why me? Why am I so committed to my faith? You know, why is my relationship with you, Lord Jesus, so important to me when I don't always see that seemingly in the lives of other people in my youth group? Um, you know, they were good kids, and we had lots of fun together, and... Uh, and so forth, and God, God did work, but in the lives of a good number of them, faith didn't seem to, and I want to use this little phrase, take root in their life in the way that it took root in my life. It went deep, and it was transformative. It, it took hold of me um, and changed me. Um, I think the answer to that question, at least in part, comes from the first night that I went to, to, to youth group. I was in grade nine. I had looked forward to this day, as I suppose some people do, and I got to be with the big kids, you know, part of the high school scenario. And I went, and a youth volunteer, we didn't have a youth pastor then, but a youth volunteer said something that really impacted me. So youth volunteers, take note. What you say, what you do, it counts. It makes a difference in people's lives. Uh, what that youth uh, leader said in that instance it was, if you want to follow the Lord Jesus, you've got to spend time with him every day, reading his word and in prayer. You've got you to connect with God in that way. And for whatever reason, um, that's what I started to do. You know, connecting with the scripture allowed me to come to know God because I came to know his word. God spoke into my life. He informed my mind. He impacted my heart. He deepened my faith. Um, in a way that, and I'm not saying this in any judgmental way, nor was I the only person for whom this happened, but in a way that didn't seem to happen in the lives of some other kids. Now, <laughs> why I believed from an early age and why I chose to read the Bible for five years and uh, you know, wh why I was so committed to the Lord Jesus, ultimately, that's the work of the Spirit of God. This has nothing to do with me. I don't know why God worked that in me, but he did. But in, the, in, in, in essence, in the end of the day, it was the Bible and a knowledge of the Bible and a knowledge of God that grew out of that scripture that made a difference in me. I probably learned more scripture in those five years than in my whole life at any, any particular time. And that includes when I went to seminary. Like I dug in and I wanted to know. And I came to know the, the God who had written the book by his and through his people. And it helped me to stand firm for Christ and it helped me to live for him in a way that I might not have otherwise. And I want to tell you, my friends, the theme of this series arising out of Second Kings, the theme of this whole series is the reality that, you know what, the, 
reading and knowing and discovering and understanding God in Scripture is life-transforming. My challenge has been for you for two weeks and now for a third is, is for you to do that very thing. You know, there are all kinds of different Christians. Uh, see if you can find yourself in any of the descriptors I'm about to give. There are those Christians who are on fire. They are highly committed to the Lord Jesus. And they're ready to live for him and to do what he wants them to do. And he, they're passionate for him. And then there are some that could be described, and these are just categories that I've made up to some degree, but they're sincere Christians. They have faith, and they believe in the Lord, and they have a relationship with, with him, but they're not, they're not at that place of high commitment and passion for Jesus. And there are what is called nominal, there are what is called nominal Christians, people who go through the motions, but honestly, their hearts aren't with Christ, their hearts are elsewhere, you know, focused on work or in relationships or whatever it might be. Um... And then there are those, I suppose, who you would suggest uh, and, and, and might think uh, are, are really kind of in that place of in relationship with God, yes, but not at all living for Christ. Not at all. If you would, they're even in rebellion against Christ. They're rejecting Christ's rule in their lives. Part of the passage that, that uh, we're looking at, what it does is ask the question, you know, where are we all in this general process that I've described to you? Where are we in our relationship with God? And I want to ask that of you, each of you this morning. What characterizes your relationship with Jesus? You know, 2 Kings 23, 1-3 is the text today that we're going to look at. Previously, what we studied in, in chapter 22 is that King Josiah has discovered the book of the law. You know, a, a, a priest discovered a, a, the book that had been hidden and lost. And it was brought to the uh, first assistant of the king who brought it and read it to the king. And Josiah is brought to this place of heartfelt repentance, even to the point of weeping because he realizes his people have been unfaithful to God. And he realizes the consequences that, is going, that are going to come into the life of Judah as a result. And they're not good. They're going to be defeated in battle and they're going to be carted off into exile to be slaves and what Josiah does is he hears these things and it breaks his heart. And the first thing that he does after that experience and that dynamic is that he, in this beginning of this chapter, he takes steps to renew the covenant of God's people with God. Let me read that to you. It's uh, 2 Kings 23, verses 1 to 3. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem he went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments, statutes and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. Everybody bought in and gave themselves to that commitment. Let me, let me just define this a little bit for you. What is the covenant? What is a covenant? From the early days of God's people in their relationship with him, that relationship has been formed by covenants. They started really early and there were repeated covenants and reaffirming of covenants as time went along and those covenants developed and grew in terms of implication and an understanding of what it meant to be faithful to God and God's faithfulness to us. But they're the most solemn and serious commitment that God could make to his people. 
and they're the most solemn and serious commitment that God's people could make to God. It was a time when people came into God's presence and they understood that God had committed himself to bless them and to provide for them and to protect them and to guide them and to love them. And there's a time when these people would come into God's presence as they did in this instance and they pledged themselves, they committed themselves to obey God and to worship God and to serve God and be faithful to God and to love God. Um, there's so many examples of this. You know, uh, we talked about Noah and the ark uh, some time ago, and I always wanted to get to this text and never did, but after the flood and after Noah and the ark landed and, the, and they had gone out under, onto the ground and began to live again, God formed covenant with them. Listen to this, Genesis chapter 9. says, I now, this is God speaking, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. You see the commitment? Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And of course, what God does in the following verses is he gives a sign of the covenant the rainbow, as a, as, as a symbol of the absolute commitment of God to what he has spoken to his people. So even way back then, there is covenant. Later on, Abraham, God calls Abraham and he says, to, he spoke to this individual person, he said, I want to make a nation of you, through you and, and your descendants, I want to bless the whole world. And in chapter uh, 15 of Genesis, please read it and study it if you want to know more scripture and you want to understand the covenant further. But what happens is that, in, as was the case in that day, a covenant was formed. And animals, animals were taken, and they were killed, and they were quartered. And the pieces, if you would, of these animals were placed on the ground. And, and Abraham, and then the presence of God, walked through the midst of these quartered animals as a way of absolutely committing themselves to one another, God to Abraham, Abraham to God. And the symbolism speaking a profound reality, and that was if we will be unfaithful to you, we will become as these animals. Our life will be forfeited. That's a serious commitment. That's a big deal of God to his people and his people to him. Covenants carried on. Moses at Sinai, when, when Moses went up to, on the mountain and met with God and the Ten Commandments were given, another experience of covenant took place. And in these Ten Commandments, God is saying to his people, this is how you need to be faithful to me. I will commit myself to you. You commit yourself to me by listening to and obeying the things I have spoken. And so it carried on, even to the day of Jesus Christ. The final and fullest expression of the covenant came. Jesus said, if you might remember these words, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I repeat that. We repeat that when we have communion on, on Sundays here. This, is the, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The absolute commitment of God to his people through which he would reach into their lives and bless them and save them. <clears throat> and through which people had the opportunity to be in relationship with God and be fully committed to him. Well, in this instance, getting again back to, to the book of, of 2 Kings 22, 23, the king, Josiah, he has read at least portions, if not all, of Deuteronomy. And, and, and you know, for, at the beginning of Deuteronomy and even all through, I read most of the book this week again, the people of God are warned, when you go into that land, do not forget your God. Do not break or violate the covenant that you have made with him. 
I want to read with you Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. The latter part of this text is the beginning of the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to read them all to you, but I want you to notice what the focus of the first three commandments is upon. Moses summoned all, all Israel and said, and this is way before Josiah's time, obviously, right? Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord your God made a covenant with us at Horeb or Mount Sinai. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, we stepped in, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, this is God, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image of the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them and, or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You see, what God is saying is, here are the terms of the covenant. If you want to be faithful to me, if you want to know my heart, if you are passionately committed to doing my will, obey these Ten Commandments. The first three that are, prov are provided are commandments about not engaging in idolatry. And guess what the people of Judah had done for a long, long time, generations, prior to jo uh, Josiah's reign and even during the beginning of his reign, they had entered full bore into idolatry. And the king became aware of this dynamic and his heart is broken. And out of that brokenness of heart an understanding of the mind and the will of God emerges what takes place here at the beginning of chapter 23. See, here's the dynamic. <laughs> and it's really a beautiful moment that as king Josiah stands before his people and he renews the covenant by committing to obey uh, God. How? It says with all his heart and all his soul. I want you to hear that. There was nothing in this man's heart or mind that was holding back. He was stepping into absolute commitment to God and to God's will. And then it says <clears throat> again in verse 3 that the people pledged themselves to the covenant. They too stood in the, uh, the presence of God and made that full commitment. When we ask the question, what does God, God's word produce in our lives? What does God's word what is God's word's impact in us? <laughs> I want to tell you in this instance it produced a people who were fully and completely committed to the Lord. Did you hear it? Fully and completely committed to God and the things that God had spoken in his word, the things that he had revealed to them by his word, the scripture, the Bible. And I want to suggest to you that this defined the nature of their relationship with him. Do you hear that? This defined the nature of their relationship with him. And I want to tell you, my friends, this defines the nature of our relationship with Jesus Christ and his Father. This is the reality. This level of heartfelt, full and complete commitment to the Lord God and to all that Christ calls us to. So let me ask you again. I recognize this is a heavy, loaded question. But let me ask you again. Out of this text, the question comes. I asked it earlier on, and I ask it to you now. How do you characterize your relationship with 
Christ. That's significant, isn't it? <laughs> we're, we're confronted with the reality of Scripture that calls us to something, but we have got to get to a place of understanding where we're at with Jesus now. Here's the deal. If you are in Christ, if you believe in him, if you have entered into a relationship with God by faith in Jesus and your sin has been forgiven and, and you're a child of God, listen to this. God is fully and completely committed to you and your well-being. Isn't that amazing? The God of heaven and earth knows you and loves you and he is there for you and he will bless you. He, he wants the best for you and he is committed to that reality in love. If you've ever questioned that, look at the cross of Christ and see what Jesus did for you that day when he died on the cross and he allowed his body to be beaten and his blood to be shed and, and for him to experience the reality that we cannot contemplate fully of God the Father turning away from God the Son after an eternity of intimate relationship. We don't get that. But it was an awful, awful thing for Jesus to do, which is beyond description. But he did it for you and he did it for me. And he, God, is in our lives to bless us, to protect us, to guide us, to provide for us, to save us in every regard. What an amazing, amazing place to be. But having recognized that reality, then the question comes to us whether we similarly are fully and completely committed to the Lord. And that's a significant question. I, I came across, I say it with, you know, quotation marks, um, some time ago, I just think God leads me to these verses and, and prepares me to, to bring them to you. But 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, listen to these words. For Christ's love compels us. His love for us compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Uh, what happened to us? We died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now, if you've never really grappled with this reality, I want you to grapple with it because it's a serious dynamic that will change a life when people take it to heart. And he died for all of us that those who live, we should no longer live for ourselves. It's like, wow, <laughs> I'm not here to look after me. I'm not here for my own benefit. I'm not here to put myself first and to take care of... No! Jesus died so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but to live for him, Jesus, who died for us and was raised again. Why do we live? We live for Christ. And I want to tell you, my friends, what that is speaking of is exactly what Josiah did when he, when he renewed the covenant and he pledged himself to be faithful to God with his whole heart and soul, absolute and full commitment of himself to his God. And I got to tell you, I cannot preach this text without bringing you to that reality and asking you the question, if you are his, is that the nature of your relationship with him in your mind? You know, there, there are various and other texts that we can look at which reflect this same commitment that, that is called from us. Jesus de dealing with the rich young ruler, Luke chapter 18. What did Jesus ask that young man to do? What did Jesus ask him to give up? Everything. <laughs> he didn't say, just give me 10% of your money. He said, I want you to go and I want you to sell 
everything that you have, liquidate and give everything that you have to the poor. You know why? Because Jesus knew that that young man's idol was money. And he struck to the heart of where that guy was at. And he said, if you want to be in a relationship with me, you cannot hold on to an idol. You cannot love something more than me. Anything in your life you love more than Jesus? You know, Revelation chapter 3. Uh, for such a long, long time, even back to my teen years, this text has profoundly impacted me. The Word of God impacts people, doesn't it? Because Jesus comes and he addresses the nature of our relationship with him, particularly in this church. He writes, he speaks into the lives of seven churches, and in this particular one in Revelation chapter 3, he says this, chapter, verse 15 and 16. He says, I know your deeds. <laughs> I'm just thinking, man, if I was in this church at the time, I think I'd be going, oh boy. <laughs> he really knows, doesn't he? I know your deeds, Jesus said, that you are neither hot nor cold. You're not, you're not in, you're not out. You're not passionate for me, but you're not completely hostile toward me and disinterested and couldn't care less. You're not hot. You're neither hot nor cold. And then he says this, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And it simply speaks to the rejection of Jesus to those who are lukewarm. They're in the middle, the mushy middle. Do you understand why this has impacted me? And will you allow it to impact you? You see, Jesus is saying, I would love you to be passionate. I'd love you to be fully and completely committed to me. But if you're not that, I would rather you hostile toward me and disinterested in me and even opposed to me. Because the worst thing that you can be is in the mushy middle, lukewarm, believing in me but not fully committed. All my life I have read that text. I'm not kidding you. Well, from my teen years. And it has spoken to me and it has challenged me. And it's made me think, where am I right now when it comes to following Jesus? Like, I want you to think about this lukewarm status, this, you know, is it the nominal Christian or whatever, you know, category that, that might be described. Can you imagine things being otherwise than full commitment to God? It's something like this. God, I want to be in a relationship with you. I want, I want you to love me and I want you to bless me. I want you to provide for me. I want you to protect me. I want you to forgive my sins. I want you to take me to heaven when I die. But I'm really not interested in doing what you tell me to do. If I have an idol in my life, I'm going to hold on to it. Sorry. <laughs> if there's something in my experience, like a sin that I, I sense you want me to give up, uh, I can't do it. You know, Lord Jesus, I want to be in a relationship with you, but, <clears throat> and, I, and, and I believe in you, but I'm not going to be fully committed to you. Sorry. I want to stand here today and tell you this, my friends, even to think of that possibility which many of us embrace, to even think of it in our relationship with God Almighty is ridiculous. And it's craziness. 
Now, let me tell you why it's not only ridiculous but crazy. The reality is that for people who find themselves in this place, unfaithful to God, engaging in idolatry, <clears throat> not being willing to give up what Jesus calls them to do, uh, or to do what Jesus calls them to do, is an incredibly bad place to find yourself because it is a place, according to this text, <laughs> that is a very dangerous and destructive place. Because in this text, as you'll know if you've been here for a few weeks, God has pronounced judgment on these people. He says, you have abandoned me, you have forsaken me, and I am going to allow those <clears throat> foreign armies to come, and I'm going to allow you to be defeated, and I'm going to allow that you be carted off to a foreign land to be the slaves and the servants of a different king. Now, as I told you before, every instance in that reality among God's people is for the sake of reconciliation. He is acting in such a fashion that he needs to in order to draw people back to him and into faithfulness and full commitment. And in our lives, if we are in that mushy middle, lukewarm, not committed, but yet believing, God will, or even in rebellion against God, God will discipline us in order to bring us to faithfulness. He's not going to let us go. He loves us too much. <laughs> We're his kids. But he won't leave us there, if indeed we are. See, this is the situation of Judah at the time. And I want to tell you, my friends, to live in that place is nuts. Do you get this? It doesn't make any sense at all. But conversely, to be a believer and in the family of God and a child of God and to be fully and completely committed to Christ, the text tells us, as was the case in Josiah's life, that we are in a place which leads to huge blessing from God. You want blessed by God? I'm telling you how to be blessed by God. Get to that place where there is no reservation, there is no holding back, there is no mushy middle, there's no, God, I want to believe in you, but I want to do my own thing. There is an absolute and full commitment of your life to Christ. That is the place of blessing in the Christian experience. And again, are you there? Am I there? Because this is an ongoing dynamic, you know? <laughs> it can be that way at one point in life, but we can slip from it and we can regain it and we can slip from it. Look at the life of the people of Israel. It's exactly what happened to them and it happens to us. It happens to us as individuals. It can happen to us as a church. But the question is incredibly important for you. See, what would happen if, if we had a church filled with such people? What would the vision become? Let me read to you sentence one again of our vision. It says this. We see a thriving church where people are being formed into spiritually mature followers of Jesus by the transforming power of God's word. That's how it happens. That's what happened here. And that's how it happens in us. And the healing work of the Holy Spirit, something we're going to talk about another time, living passionately to see God's kingdom come in every area of life. You see, my friends, I want to tell you this. Spiritually mature followers of Jesus are people who have gotten to a place in their relationship with Christ where they have gone beyond half-heartedness into full commitment of their lives to Jesus. And not only are they committed, they're tending to live it out, never with perfection by any means, but that's where their hearts are at. And that's what they're eager for. And that's what they're giving themselves to. And I want to tell you, such people end up living their lives 
passionately to see God's kingdom come in every area of life. What is their priority? God and God's will, God's purposes. They have a passion for the things of God. And there are other dynamics that work in their lives, but they are only mechanisms whereby people serve and honor and glorify their king. Now, let me read to you our, our mission statement. We haven't spent much time in our mission statement, but it grew out, obviously, of the same vision process that your elders engaged for a year and a half, and we introduced the vision in uh, last September, October, but it's this. Our, our mission is to introduce people to Jesus, deepen our faith, participate in God's life-transforming story as we serve at home and around the world. <laughs> I want to tell you this, my friends. People who are absolutely committed to Christ, <coughs> they are introducing people to Jesus because Jesus says, introduce people to me. I don't know whether you're really aware of that, but Jesus says, introduce people to me, please. Like, get after it, make it happen. You're my spokesperson, right? And you know why people can introduce others to Jesus who have discovered the word of God as they are encountering God in scripture as God is working profoundly in them? Because of that dynamic of a biblical focus and a biblical understanding that is deepening day after day after day, they'll have so many stories to tell of God, they won't be able to keep quiet because they're encountering God in the scripture. And they, they will be deepening in faith. They'll be going deeper in an understanding of who God is and what it means to follow the Lord Jesus and what it means to live for him in all areas. You know, God will open the minds of people and inspire the hearts of people so that they can be deepening in faith and then participating in God's life-transforming story. They're the people who say, I don't want to watch this happen. I want to step in. I want to, I want to live the story. I want to know what God has created me to do in, in order that this world might be made new in Christ. You hear the passion? You hear the heart that dwells in such folks? And then lastly, we serve at home and around the world. You know, you can't keep these people from serving God because that, they know that is why they exist. And whether that be in their workplace or in their neighborhoods or in a youth ministry or in a children's ministry or in a worship team, whether that be in Nicaragua, our team's heading out in a little while and we'll commission them on the following Sunday. It, it doesn't matter. They just said, God, use my life. God, use me to accomplish your purposes because my heart is yours and I am passionately committed to the things of Christ. See, these people come to a place because of their discovery of the word of God and I say this quoting the 2 Corinthians chapter 5 text that I've read to you. They come to this place where they are no longer living for themselves. Can you imagine? It's not about me. It's not about my good. It's not about what I want. I'm not living for me anymore. Why? But for him, or what otherwise, but instead for him who died and then was raised to life again. 2 Corinthians 5.15. So my friends, as we wind down, um, two simple questions. Are you there? <laughs> I know it's not an easy question to hear or to answer. But are you there, fully and completely committed to Jesus Christ, living not for yourself, but for him? And secondly, if you're not there, would you be willing to make a, such a commitment today? 
Let me put it this way. If you've never committed your life fully to Christ, I'm not talking about faith. This grows from faith, obviously. But would you be willing in the quietness of this place in just a few minutes to shut your eyes in, in individual and private prayer and say, Lord Jesus, as Josiah once did, I haven't gotten it right in the fast. I've allowed idolatry in the land. He's taking responsibility too, obviously. I've allowed it to happen. You know, I have lived for something other than ultimately your desire. But I'm ready to make a new commitment to you today. I'm ready to commit my life fully to you, Lord Jesus. No holds barred. What you want me to do, I will do. What you want, where you want me to go, I will go. What you want me to stop doing, I will stop doing. What you want me to start doing, I will start doing. Lord, you speak, I will do, because you are my Lord. You see, of course, this is the distinction between having Jesus as your Savior. Oh, I want the blessing. Forgive my sin and take me to heaven. But do I want to and will I receive him as my Lord, my King, my God? The text is clear. And not to put our mission and vision statement beside Scripture too, too much, <laughs> but the vision and the mission statement, they're clear. This church will thrive, and your life will thrive in blessing. Not always goodness. I mean, you're going to struggle and uh, be challenged probably even more now than then if you take this step. But we will thrive as the followers of Jesus when we get ourselves to a place where our relationship with him, the nature of our relationship is defined by full and complete commitment of our lives to Christ. You willing to take that step? We're going to just conclude with a moment of prayer, as we did last week. If, if um, you know, maybe you're visiting today and maybe this is way too far down the line for you in terms of faith, and you might, some people may hear just be kind of wanting to discover what faith is, never mind this sort of serious commitment of life. It's okay to not participate if you, if you wish not to, but I'm talking to the people who you know you are his. And I'm here to ask you, will you commit your life to Jesus Christ fully and unreservedly? Because that is what God calls you to. Remember, he is fully and committed, completely committed to you in love. And the response that flows from us is to be the same. So let's quietly bow our heads in his presence and uh, I'll, I'll start the prayer and I'll give you opportunity to finish it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this faith of ours is a journey. And at the beginning of the journey, we just try to figure out who you are and decide whether we believe in you at all. And then we come to a place where we say, yeah, I, <laughs> I believe it. And we ask you to forgive our sins and we open our lives to you and we invite you in and we have relationship with you. <clears throat> but Lord, where you're taking us on this journey is to a place which has been described here today from the life of Josiah and the people of Judah where they chose to enter into covenant relationship with you again, they renewed the covenant that God's people had with God and they pledged themselves to you. Lord, we as a church come into your presence now and uh, each of us here will have opportunity to respond to this word from Scripture as they choose. Lord, I pray that you'll give people courage and wisdom and understanding. Uh, that they might have a relationship with you that you call them to. You might be both their Savior and their Lord. Here is now as we pray, our God.
Lord God, we thank you for the power of your word. A book that can communicate your voice to us, your heart to us, your mind to us. And we thank you today, Lord, that it has, <clears throat> that it has called us to something that is in your heart. And we thank you, our God, that not only do we have the book, that we can respond to you through it and because of it. Lord, many people here today have committed themselves unreservedly to Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have, Lord, we just pray now, use us in a new and in a powerful way. Show us, <clears throat> mostly from your word, what you would have us do. And God, when the challenge comes, when the time comes, we pray that you would give us the grace and the wisdom and the conviction to do what you call us to. Lord, for those who haven't been able to take this step, our prayer is that you will continue to lead them in the journey until they do. Lord, take them from where they are to where you want them to be. Oh, God, by your grace and by your mercy and by your love, take them to that place of great blessing and of great joy. Move them beyond, Lord, a challenging and a difficult and an even um, a bad place to be in life, claiming faith in you but not living fully for you. God, we pray this in all earnestness that you would bless people by enabling them, ultim them ultimately to commit their lives fully to Christ as well. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. <clears throat> Thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessing that we find in it as it teaches us how to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. <clears throat>